Uh, being a father has been one of the most wonderful and the most terrifying experiences of my life. You know, you sort of vacillate between, this is awesome, this is amazing, and man, I pray I don't screw this up. <laughs> Please, Lord, help me not to, to mess it up. And so, you fathers, you know what that experience is. Now, being a grandfather is similar, only it kind of goes like this. This is awesome. Be sure you don't screw this up. <laughs> and I like that version better. I'm going with that. We're going to have Bibles uh, handed out by the ushers. If you need a Bible, we're going to open the Word in just a minute, and uh, you can grab a Bible and take a look. In 1878... The Wright brothers were given a gift from their father. Now, they're young boys at this point. They were given a gift which, in some ways, I guess we could say that it was a gift that changed the world. They were given in 1878 a little toy helicopter, and I've actually got a graphic of that. It looked kind of like that. It was a rubber band-driven toy very small, and this gift from their father captured their imagination, and 25 years later, in 1903, they were the first men in flight. Kind of cool. It's a great story, just that they were the first guys in flight, but I like the backstory that there was something given to them that captured their imagination, that inspired them. It was a vision that sort of drove them to that end result. It's a great story because it teaches a great life principle. What we do in life is so often based on an idea, a picture, an image, a truth that is imprinted in our heart and mind. What is that truth in your life? What is imprinted in your heart and your mind? Because whatever that is, if you look at something hard enough, if you look at it long enough, that thing's going to have an influence on your life. It might even determine the direction of your life. And so we come to the book of Colossians. If you have your Bible, open to the book of Colossians. We've been studying the book of Colossians and this is, in many ways, what Colossians is all about. Colossians has been about a vision, a picture, a truth. It's a vision of Jesus Christ. It's the truth of Christ. It is placed before us. God wants us to post it up in heart and mind. And so chapters 1 and 2 have really been all about Jesus. Who is Jesus? I mean, who is he really? As we've gone through the, this, these chapters, you see how rich it really is. We studied several weeks ago, chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, what's called the Christ hymn. It's, it's a song. It's a poem. It's about Jesus. And it's one of the richest, densest, most beautiful descriptions of Jesus anywhere. And it's given for a reason. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you something that can change your life. It can determine the course of your life. 
the outcome of your life. And you know what that is? It's a picture of Christ. It's a vision of who Jesus truly is. It seems there are always those who are trying to substitute in the life and mind of a Christian instead of Jesus, something else. Or instead of the true vision of Jesus that's given to us in God's word, some other vision of Jesus, a deluded, distorted picture of Jesus. And so that was what was happening at the city of Colossae, and Paul is writing to them. He cares so much. He says, oh, I just want you to get this true vision of Christ. And now in chapter 3, I want to give you one more picture of Jesus. One more picture of Jesus to paste up in your heart and in your mind. But it's not just a picture of Jesus this time. It's a picture of Jesus and you. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of your life. And it's a picture of how those two things intersect and come together. Take a look at it in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And that's a powerful picture. It's given for a purpose. It's, it's given to you. I want you to take this picture, I want you to take this truth and post it up in your heart and in your mind. And I want you to focus this morning with me on one verse in particular. Out of these four verses, we'll look at all four, but out of the four, I want you to focus on one in particular, and it's verse three. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you right now for a minute, just take that and personalize that. For I have died, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I wish that I could draw a diagram of that, like the picture of the helicopter. And if I could, I'd give it to you, and you could paste it up, you know, in your room or in your head somewhere. But this is a little bit more complicated even than the helicopter. I can't draw a picture of this, so we'll have to use words. We'll have to use our imagination. We'll have to enter into the Scripture, and we'll have to ask, what is this really telling us? Why, why would Paul say something like this? you might notice right away that it's a radical statement, isn't it? You notice how radical that is? It says, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a radical thing to say. And what could that possibly mean for our lives? We'll have to think it through. We'll have to pray about that. It's not just a statement of theological truth. It's an invitation to a life. It's a picture of a life 
It's something for us to see and to believe for our lives. Let me tell you a couple things that I think this phrase means. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I think it might mean something like this. As God the Father sees Christ his Son, so God sees me in Christ. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What could that possibly mean? What is that picturing? Think about this. Just riff on the idea for a minute. As God the Father sees Christ his Son, so God sees me in Christ. Say that in your head. I'm not going to make you say it out loud because it feels manipulative and weird. So I'm going to do that. Just say it in your head. Try it on for size. As God the Father sees Christ the Son, so God sees me in Christ. So God sees my life in Christ. This is the single most fundamental and powerful truth of the gospel. To see this truth is to live in the power of the gospel. That is why the New Testament is always giving us two visions, not just one, but two. It's always giving us a vision of Jesus. And it's always answering the question, who really is Jesus? You know, when you read the Gospels, I tell people this when they're new to the faith. I say, read the Gospel, but there's so much in the Gospels, and they don't know how to sort of process all of it. And I say, just read the Gospels, pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And once you start reading, just ask one question. Who is Jesus? What is being presented to me about who Jesus truly is? Just ask that question. And then when you get done answering that question, go back and read it again and ask a second question. What is this gospel saying about what it means to be a believer, a follower of Christ? Because if you ask those two questions, those are the, that's the grid for understanding the gospel. Who is Jesus? Who am I in Jesus? As I put my faith in Jesus, as I live my life for Jesus, who am I? These are two visions, but they're two visions that actually become one because they're not to be separate ever. We're to take those two visions and post them up together, and that's exactly what happens in the book of Colossians. Who is Jesus? Book of Colossians. Who are you as a Christ follower, as a believer in Christ? Who are you in Christ? And here's answer number one. As God the Father sees Christ his Son, so God sees you in Christ. Everywhere in the New Testament I see this truth. And so we're going to go to couple of the more famous verses that pick up on this theme. Take a look at 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 17. It's a verse that you may know. 
If you don't, you should know it. Get out the highlighter, uh, put a star next to the verse, tab the page, go back to it often. 2 Corinthians and chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something radical has happened. Something has changed. It's not a small thing. It's a giant thing. Did you see the words in Christ? If anyone is in Christ, when Paul says in Colossians, you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ, it's, it's the equivalent, saying the same thing. He says over and over and over again, he uses this language, that you as a Christian, you, your life is in Christ. You have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. It said that in Colossians chapter 2. We learned last week. There's this concept of union with Christ. My life has somehow been united with Jesus. This is the work of God. This is the miracle of the gospel. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is saying. If your life is in Christ, it's a whole new ballgame. You're, you're a part of a new creation. Well, how, how does God see you as that new creation? What's his view of you? Well, if you read in 2 Corinthians 5, a little further down the page, you'll see. Here's another really famous verse from chapter 5, verse 21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, you've got to just think that through. For our sake... He, that is God, made him, that is Christ the Son, to be sin. That's Jesus in his death on the cross. Him who knew no sin, that's Jesus on the cross. So that we might become the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It means to be right with God. To be right. You know what it is? It's a statement of how God sees you. How does he see you? Does he see you through your sin and your failure and your shame? The Bible says no. If your life is in Christ, he sees you in Christ, through Christ, through the righteousness of Christ. This is God's gift to you, and this is the power of the gospel. And it's amazing. Now, this is why Paul continually says things like this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and in verses 30 and 31. And again, you just have to sort of stick with the logic, stick with the thinking that, that is being presented here in these passages 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, that is God, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now, through God, your life, you've died. It's like the old you. That's, that's your life before faith in Christ. It says you've died. But now your life, through God, is hidden with Christ in God. And so all that the Father sees in Christ his Son, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, which means holiness, all of those things, he sees those things now in you. That's how he sees you. And you know what the outcome of that is? The outcome, it says right here in 1 Corinthians 131, it says, so that as it is written, let one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You know what the outcome is? Well, for one thing, God takes away your guilt. It's forgiveness of sins. He takes away your guilt. But you know what else he takes away? He takes away both your shame and your pride. Shame and pride. He takes away both of those things. Who can boast? Who can boast? I don't stand before God in my own goodness, righteousness, achievement, any of that. But I stand before him in Christ, in his righteousness, in his achievement, in his success, in his victory. And as God the Father sees Christ his Son, so he sees my life in Christ. Now, I want to apply that for a minute to what Paul said in Colossians 3 in verses 1 and 2. So let's go back to Colossians, and let's just back up the tape a little bit and talk about Paul's instruction. 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, what does it mean? What are you supposed to do? What does it mean to seek the things above? Well, one of the things it means is to seek to see your life as God sees it. It means to find your true identity in Christ alone. And why would he say that you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God? And, that, and that's what's above. That's, that's the heavenly reality. And he says, seek those things that are above. Set your mind on those things. Train yourself to look at that picture, that truth, that idea. Make it your own. So I'm going to translate that into this idea. To seek the things above means, in part, to find your true identity in Christ and only in Christ. But you know, the problem is that in our lives, we are so accustomed to seeing ourselves through the eyes of those around us, aren't we? I see myself reflected 
in many eyes, in many expressions, in many relationships. And that becomes my identity. And we carry that in our lives. We can carry it with pride. We can carry it with shame. Every man I know desperately wants to receive the approval, the affirmation of his father. Every man I've ever known. To the dying day. It's, it's just the weirdest thing. <laughs> to the dying day. From the earliest day. Hey, Daddy, watch me. How am I doing? <laughs> am I doing good? Later in life, accomplishments. Hey, Dad, did you notice what I accomplished? What do you think of it? Some men even compete with their fathers to the death. <laughs> I won't go into that. And it's right, it's right to the dying day. And I, and I talk to guys who will tell me their father's passed away. And one of the greatest regrets of their life is that they never got the approval of their father. They can't shake it. They can't shake it. And you know what that means to me? That means to me that's the picture that's, that's posted up in their head and their heart. That's the picture that they have. That's their sense of identity in life. And it's tough. You know, when you find your identity through the eyes of those around you, if you find your identity, let's say, in your father and your father's opinion of you, it's really a double-edged sword. On the one end of the spectrum, you have my friend Jeff Newman, who I worked with for 10 years. He was my associate pastor. He told me one day, his father had a nickname for him. He called him One Watt. One Watt. Like the dimmest bulb in the drawer. That's what he called him. Hey, One Watt. It was a wound upon his life. He felt it. He lived with it. It was hard to overcome. So on one end of the spectrum, you know, you can see reflected and you go, oh, man, I'm One Watt. My life has no value. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Tiger Woods. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember Tiger in the days, in the early days, and his dad. Remember his dad? Boy, the dad was really intense. His dad was like a Green Beret or something, and he's this intense guy, and he schooled him in golf. And do you remember what his dad used to say about Tiger? He used to say, my son, the universal child, actually has the ability to have as much influence in this world as Jesus Christ. Some people are shocked. He did say this. Check the record. He has the ability to have probably more influence on this world than, than any human being that's ever lived because of the notoriety and because of the media and because of the age we live in. He had all these reasons. And, you know, and so I'm like, if you're Tiger Woods, you're going, well... Okay, that's who I am. Awesome. You know, not to mention he was awfully good at golf. So on one end of the spectrum, you have one watt. On the other, you have 
dad telling you that essentially that you're as, as significant as Jesus Christ. And either way, you're receiving your identity from how someone around you sees you. Now, I could, we could just multiply this all day. It could be your peer group. It could be your boss. It could be your wife. It could be your own kids. <laughs> you know, you grow up or they grow up, you get older, and your kids might look at you and say, you're a loser, dad. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how sensitive we are to the opinions of others, how we want to appear and see ourselves through the lenses of life. I could go on. We could talk about achievement. We could talk about, you know, it's fathers. They could talk about sports, you know. You could talk about the vision that you have of yourself coming back in the mirror. You look in the mirror. You go, that's who I am. And you rate yourself. And it could go on and on like that. I remember the day that God taught me to see my life as he sees me and God alone. I remember the day, I remember the time, the place. I've told this story before. We used to have a little office building for our church, our first office at Shantae, you know Shantae down here. And it was like the cheapest office in Shantae. It was a dive, just a dive. I'm sure they've fixed it up since then. And one day I drove my wrecked car into the parking lot in Shantae. I had just this garbage car. And I drove, and it was raining. It's Oregon, and it's just raining, raining, raining. It's overcast, and there's moss growing on the roof. There's moss growing on me. And I'm like, you know, my family's from Southern California, and I'm, it's like a night. It was the weirdest thing. I opened the door of my car, my rickety old car, and I stepped out into the moss and into the dampness. And I looked at the Shantae building, and this is exactly what I thought. I thought, if my dad could see me right now, he would tell me I'm a complete failure. That's what he would say to me, and I know it's true. It's absolutely true. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit, I felt the voice of God, my Father, say, it doesn't matter what he thinks. The only thing that matters is what I think. That's all that matters. And you know what happened? It set me free. I straightened myself up. <laughs> I walked in with a sense of purpose. And I said, it doesn't matter. Because I have died. And my life is hidden with Christ in God. That's all that matters. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you a gift on Father's Day. I want to give you a picture for your life. It's a picture of who you are in Christ. And that's the great power of the gospel of Jesus. We could unpack that for weeks. Actually, we will, because we'll be staying in the book of Colossians. But I'm going to run out of time, so I'm going to tell you something else that it means to say that your life is hidden, that you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It means that as God the Father raised his son in absolute power, so God has raised you and seated you in heavenly places in Christ. That's what it means.
Remember what we read in chapter 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those things. For you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean? It means that as God the Father raised his son in power, so he has raised you, seated you in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I know that sounds sort of esoteric, and I can't draw that on a diagram on a napkin for you, but can we try to think about it? I mean, why would Paul say this? Why say such a radical thing? What is he getting at? Is it just a theological truth, or is it a picture for your life? Is it a truth for you to hold and cherish in your heart and to live by? And so to unpack it, we're going to go back to the verse that was read earlier. Thank you, Colin, for picking this verse from the book of Colossians, or Ephesians, sorry, book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 4 through 6, which we read earlier during our worship. Ephesians 2. Four through six, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's pretty thick going, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you love the words, but God? But God. And you go back and read later the verses that come before it. It's a train wreck. It's a disaster. It's the saddest story you'll ever see about a life apart from Christ. And how we can wreck things. We can be controlled by things. We can make bad choices. And then here come the precious words, but God. Aren't you thankful for those words? Aren't you thankful that we're not left to our own devices? Aren't you thankful that the story doesn't begin and end with you? He says, but God. Even when. God being rich in mercy because of his great love. Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. This passage is, you could say it's about power. You could really say that what it's about is it's about power. But I'm going to twist that just a little bit and say that it's about security. It's about really confidence and security in life. To seek the things above is to find your security and your confidence in Christ alone, only in Jesus. You know, in the ancient world, people have many fears. 
at Ephesus, at Colossae. People were frightened of many things. They lived in a world that, to their way of thinking, was charged with power. And not just power, but powers. And they were afraid of those powers. In our Western culture, we're not as used to thinking that way, but oh, around the world, many, many people do. Those who go to Rwanda, you'll see a culture where they believe in powers, spiritual powers. When we go to Myanmar and we work with Pastor Nopum, we find a culture where they believe in powers and they're frightened of those powers. Christopher, when he was in Myanmar recently, he took a photo of the snake gods. And this is one of the pagodas. Each one of these is a snake god. And you might say, well, what's the deal? Like, do they worship snakes? Why would they do that? But you've got to understand there's a complex set of factors that leads to a shrine like this. People, when they, in that culture, when bad things happen to them, they attribute those things to powers, to beings, to entities. And they're afraid of those. And I can't remember the entire story of this, but there were snakes, I guess, that were coming into a village and that were biting people and people were dying. And they interpreted this as the gods are against us. And so to placate the powers, they said we must worship them. We must pray to them. We must find some device to break this spell and this power that's coming against us. And what you find when you go to cultures like this is that many of the shrines, you know, you may look at them and go, I don't really get that. Like, why would they worship this, that, or that, or the other? And what you've got to understand is they're living in fear of powers, and they're finding ways to interface with those perceived powers in a way that they believe will bring them safety security, and confidence. Because isn't that what we're all looking for in our lives? All of us, every one of us. So when the Apostle Paul, he begins to talk about Christ is raised up and seated at the right hand of God. It's really about power. It's about authority. It's about confidence. It's about security. Why? Because you're seated there with him. And you know where Jesus is? It says he's above all things. Colossians 1, Ephesians 1. Jesus is the name above all names. He's at the top. Now, if you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, where are you? Your life is hidden with Christ. Where are you? It's a dynamic message. You know, when you go to Rwanda, when you go to, to Myanmar, this is a dynamic message. We live with such profound cultural arrogance in the United States of America. Well, that's so silly. There's no demons. There's no God. There's no power. We know. We got it all figured out. There's an app for that. <laughs> Profound cultural arrogance. But let's just go at it a different way. Let's ask the question, what do you fear in your life? What do you fear? Do you have any fears in your life? What are you afraid of? Where are you insecure in your life? Let's put it like that. 
You afraid of dying? I talked to some people, like, I'm not afraid of dying, I'm not afraid of it at all. I'm like, did you have a lobotomy? Like, what do you, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, you're going to stop breathing, they're going to lower you into the ground. Like, no, I got no problem with that. What are you afraid of? Afraid of getting sick? You afraid of getting old? What are you afraid of? Now, there's no guarantee in life that, you know, Jesus is going to spare you from suffering or hurt or sorrow in life. But I can tell you this, that Jesus is Lord over all things. And Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. Now, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, it changes the equation. You know, in the ancient world, they lived in an honor-shame society. So it's a pecking order, you know, and you, everyone knows where they are on, the, on that pecking order of honor or shame and status or no status. Where are you? Where were the Colossians? But what if your life, what if you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and Christ is seated, the right hand of the Father in the place of honor, and your life is hidden in Christ, all of a sudden, we're not being measured by earthly standards or status points anymore. We're being measured by who Christ is and that we're found in Christ. These are amazing things. The power of Christ is for a purpose. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you're a new creation in Christ. You're God's workmanship. He's taken you and he's hidden your life in Christ, in God. It's amazing. And all of this is for a purpose. And the purpose isn't just for you to go, I'm amazing. I'm in Christ. Look at me. I have power. I have status. I don't have to worry. Like, that's not the purpose. What's the purpose? You're created in Christ unto good works. You know, to seek the things that are above... It means to see yourself as God sees you. It means to find your security, your strength and your confidence, not in yourself or your status, but in who Jesus is. And it also means to seek to live the purpose of Christ in this world, not your own. Not your own. He has something for you to do. Seek it. What is it? Seek the things above, the will of Christ. What does he want to do in this world? I think that's what he's talking about, which leads me to my final point. Because these things are true, it's time for us to live a different kind of life. Now, everything I've said to you is gospel truth. Because those things are true, it's actually now time for us to live a different kind of life which is exactly what happens in Colossians chapter 3. So let me just read to you a few more verses and we'll close this thing out. Colossians 3, in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, 
impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. New creation. God has hidden your life in Christ. He is doing something new in your life. It's amazing. But you know what that means? It means it's time to live a new life. Now, seek the things above. Don't seek earthly things. But when he says earthly things, he's not talking about everything on earth. It's not you floating on a cloud going, I'm spiritual. I don't think about the earth anymore. It's not that. Not at all. It's pretty obvious that when he talks about earthly things, he's talking about sinful earthly things. He's talking about things in life that are lived without any reference to God, to Christ, to our identity in Christ. That's why he does the list that he does. Sexual immorality, impurity, anger, wrath. Those are the things below. He says, don't, don't seek those things. All of this means it's time to live a new life. And if we could just go for probably the issue of the moment, I would say something like this. Guys, it's time to turn off the porn. Let's turn it off. I can tell you for sure that's from below. That's from the earth. You have been given in Christ this rich, amazing identity, truth, security, power, purpose, in Christ, all of this is yours. And so it's time to live a different kind of life. The world will capture your mind. Whatever you post up in your mind, it will control your life. And so it's time to turn off the porn. I was thinking of my friend Scott Bradley yesterday because Scott tells a story that when he was a young man, him and his buddies, you know, this is like adolescent stuff. Him and his buddies used to go out. There was a shack um, out on a vacant lot, um, and it was just like this shed out there. And I remember the story. I thought they were out there looking at porn, but actually I called him, and I said, what was the story on that? He's like, oh, no, it wasn't that. He says, this was the story. There was this water department, like, workstation shed, and all the doors were locked, and the windows had wire mesh over them, and it had a smokestack coming out the top. And me and my buddies had a bunch of shotgun shells. And so we went out to this shed, and we thought, we're going to take all the little BBs out, and we're going to get the gunpowder, and we're going to blow it up. But to do that, we need secrecy, so we're going to go into the shed to do that. Now, the rest of the story is this, that Scott's father was the chief of the fire department. I think it was like Lakewood, California. He's the chief of the fire department, and he's thinking... This is a really bad idea. My dad's going to kill me if he finds out. So they actually got on the roof, and they lowered themselves down through the smokestack into this shed with the shotgun shells. Scott, who knows this is crazy and his dad is going to kill him, he doesn't go in. Instead, you know what he does? 
He watches through the window. He's outside of that room just looking in the window. That's awesome. They took one shell. They took the powder. They blew it up. Awesome. They said, let's do something bigger. Let's take two shells, get the gunpowder, blow it up. Scott's outside looking. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. He cannot help himself. He climbs up on the roof, lowers himself down through the smokestack. Now they take like a whole bunch of shells. They take all the powder and they blow it up. And when they do, the shed caught on fire. Now they're in the shed. And the doors are locked. And the thing that's burning is right over the smokestack. And they can't get out. And there's wire on the windows. And the place is on fire. And they had to kick the walls out. They literally kicked the boards of the walls out to escape, and the place burned to the ground. That's a great story. <laughs> For several reasons. <laughs> but the moral of the story, Scott, and Scott tells a story. He says, you know, whatever room you look into, if you look into that room, room long enough, you're going to end up in that room. That's where you're going to be. You're going to end up in that place. You're going to end up in that picture. Men and women, what room are we looking into? What picture are we putting before our minds? Because that will determine your life in so many ways. Colossians has given us this extraordinary vision of Christ, who is Jesus. And your life in Christ. Meditate on that picture. Pray about that picture. Post it up in your mind. Learn about it. Believe in it. Turn off the porn. Turn off the voices that are telling you who you are apart from Christ. Whether it's pride or shame, turn it off. Get a different picture in your mind. It's a gospel picture. And then we learn to live our lives in accordance with that truth comes from the inside out, because the picture that's in your mind. I'll leave you with one final verse, which is a favorite verse. It's very important and powerful. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Isn't that cool? It's a picture. As we see the Lord, as we see Jesus, as we understand who he is, as we understand the glory of Christ in the gospel, as we meditate on this, as we see this, it says it changes us. Because whatever you're looking at, long enough and hard enough, especially if it's Christ and the truth of who you are in Christ, you're going to find that transforming you. And that's the message 
of not only Colossians, but I think of the entire New Testament. It's powerful. 